Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson, and it's all happening. Restaurants, movies, the office, and of course, baseball. When last we were together, your humble host called on D.C. Mayor Bowser to lift the mask mandate and restrictions at Nationals Park, a call she heeded just two days later. And I just want you to know here at 14th and G, we get results. But in fact, about the last place still off limits is Capitol Hill itself, where committee hearings are still largely virtual, proxy voting remains in effect in the House, and visitors are permitted only under strict escort and gauntlets of security. Nonetheless, June is shaping up as a hugely consequential month, with the Senate wrapping up a China competition bill, further consideration of a January 6th commission investigation, voting rights legislation, But the most intense focus remains on efforts to find compromise on an infrastructure bill, if we can agree even on what infrastructure is. So I'm pleased to be joined once again by two of my colleagues here at the firm who are definitely infrastructure, Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas. We're going to cover 2021 in 21 minutes. Bruce, David, welcome to 14th and G. Happy almost infrastructure week, Dean. Thanks, Dean. Good to be back. Well, DT, let's uh, let's start where we left off uh, in the Senate before the Memorial Day recess. The Innovation and Competition Act, formerly known as Endless Frontiers, it looks teed up for passage when they get back. But this bill's no slam dunk in the House. In fact, Speaker Pelosi may not even want to deal with it. I'm not sure I, I agree with that, Dean, totally here. Um, look, first of all, we have to get it off the Senate floor. This is a bill that has bipartisan support, Senator Schumer working with Senator Young. Uh, and even that, we couldn't land it before Memorial Day. It shows you the really extreme challenges that Senator Schumer has in the 50-50 Senate. Uh, it appears that, you know, having addressed uh, Senators uh, Johnson and Senator Paul's concerns, that they can actually get it done now. But I think this is it, this it makes things incredibly challenging going forward for, for Senator Schumer in the Senate. And I know, I know we'll come back to that issue here. As far as the House is concerned, look, uh, Speaker Pelosi is going to respond to her members. The most important, which of being on this issue, is going to be um, Chairwoman Eddie Bernice Johnson of Texas. She chairs the Science Committee. She has said she has concerns, and she's going to take a look at this bill. I fully expect that uh, she'll get a chance to scrub it, and the House will have its way with it. I know Senator Schumer and others would like the House to take up and pass the Senate bill as is, but I guess turnabout is fair play. Finally, the House gets to put his stamp on it, on uh, the Senate moving quickly. The Senate stacking up legislation at the House door. It's uh, it's a little bit of the dynamic in reverse. But I will say, look, this is, you know, this is the sausage making. Uh, back when we used to do regular order legislation on a more normal basis, uh, you always found a handful of senators who discovered last minute objections when it was time to leave town and you hold the bill over to recess and and get it done. And I will note, We made it almost to Memorial Day before we had the first legislative filibuster. But Bruce, how about the larger issue at play here? I mean, it's which is really competition with China has forced some level of bipartisan compromise in the Senate. Are we back in a universe of competition between great powers, uh, a new Cold War with the Chinese? Well, we're definitely back in competition between great powers. Hopefully, uh, Cold War is scarier sounding, although I'm not sure what else I might call it. Um, in, in this regard, you're right. You know, To the extent it inspires Sputnik-style American investment in innovation and R&D you know, and better American collaboration on uh, domestic supply chain and domestic manufacturing capability, that would be great. 
you know, the worry are the folks who talk about the growing risk of an invasion of Taiwan, say, and the challenges of global cooperation. Remember, during the Cold War, we hated the Soviets. They hated us, yet we cooperated on eradicating smallpox. Here, in part because of China's dishonesty about things, but we, we can't even uh, we can't cooperate even remotely on COVID. I thought for U.S.-China relations, the single biggest thing may have been the Biden administration and many in the media flipping on what had previously been, uh, you know, verboten fake news and now agreeing that there's a need to look at the origins. Well, DT, uh, moving back to what's going to happen here in the Senate, uh, just before they did leave for recess, Leader Schumer laid out a pretty ambitious agenda in a Dear Colleague letter, promised vote on S-1, a highly contentious election reform bill. Very few of these items have 60 votes to overcome the filibuster. Isn't all this just an attempt to paint Republicans as obstructionists so he can eventually end the filibuster? I'm not sure you have to paint somebody as obstructionist if they are obstructionist, Dean. And I'm not, uh, you know, it doesn't take Bob Ross to sort of uh, paint this painting. Uh, look, I, you know, I think uh, the first six months of the year, President Biden, uh, Senator Schumer and others have been trying to work in a bipartisan manner. But to what you alluded to earlier on the House, the House has been stacking up bills that are Democratic priorities that President Biden ran on. Things uh, like uh, background checks for guns, uh, paycheck fairness, LGBTQ. These are issues that are now pending uh, in the Senate that the House has already passed. I feel like we are coming to a head and that it's sort of time to fish or cut bait if we can actually reach bipartisan compromise. Will it be on infrastructure? Well, we'll see. Uh, Senator Capito met uh, yesterday with the, the president here, didn't have any uh, white smoke uh, coming out of the White House on that issue. Uh, we've got all these other issues that definitely don't have 60 uh, votes in the in the Senate uh, that Senator Schumer is going to uh, start to bring up. I think by the end of by the time we get to the July 4th recess, what we're going to have is a work period uh, that started with the January 6th commission being filibustered and ended with the voting rights bill being filibustered. That's a pretty powerful case that the, the Senate is is broken here and you can't uh, move uh, these important priorities forward. So it, it does. I feel the pressure rising. And I think June is going to be a consequential month. Yeah, but do Democrats want to end the filibuster at all? Do they have the votes to do it? I know there's a there's a movement there in the Senate, and I just really question whether, uh, you know, a number of Democrats in cycle, like Senator Hassan, not to mention Joe Manchin and uh, Kirsten Sinema, uh, have the will to uh, not only strip the filibuster, but then uh, sort of own everything uh, that would come in a uh, in a simple majority Senate. Look, for the senators who've been around a long time and the president himself who served in the Senate for 36 years, there are real concerns about uh, changing the rules in the Senate. But uh, keep in mind, the filibuster rules was not in the Constitution. The Senate is a body that is a, a living body that is always uh, changing. Uh, Senator Manchin and Cinema are not there yet, but I think the case will be made to them by their colleagues is that is it worth it to defend a uh, procedure when at the same time, you're not able to defend democracy. And I think when you look at what the voting rights bills that are going on in the states around the country that are going to limit voting, uh, particularly for disadvantaged populations, uh, when you look at their inability to pass even the, uh, a bill to investigate what happened on January 6th, that to me is a pretty powerful statement that the Senate is, is not able to function on a bipartisan basis. I think that's the case that Senator Schumer and I suspect that's the case that the White House will be making to uh, Senators Manchin, Cinema, and anybody else who has doubts uh, about trying to move an agenda forward. If they can't, 
I'm not sure what else passes in the Biden administration for the next three and a half years. Well, so, Dean, I'm, I'm, my observation, and I'm not as close to these senators as DT, DT surely is, but my observations like yours, I don't think they've got the votes to blow up the filibuster. I'm not sure they've got the votes to pass those things in the absence of a filibuster. There are a lot of Democratic senators who recognize all of the things that President Trump would have gotten done in 2017 and 2018 with a Republican House, a Republican Senate and a Republican White House, you know, with with every Democrat we know embracing the filibuster at the time as the bulwark of, uh, of democracy, which they're now suggesting it stands in democracy's way. And I suppose it's always in the you know, in the eye of the beholder and that sort of thing. But uh, I just, I, I will personally be very surprised. I also think the DT is uh, a little too pessimistic in terms of nothing happening. I think a lot of things do and will continue to happen. It's the more political and the stuff that ends up all over Twitter, which is not reality and all over cable, those sort of things get really stuck really fast. But a whole lot of members we all collectively work with on things that, you know, are really important to some number of innovators and employers, but are pretty boring to the mainstream media. Thank God, um, they get done because most members actually want to get things done and want to work together. No, I don't disagree with that, Bruce. But I think that that the challenge for the president is is that he ran on some issues that he made promises to the American people that he is going to try to get something done here. I think he pretty articulately spoke in in Tulsa earlier this week about the challenges in a uh, evenly divided Senate in a House with only a four seat majority on, on getting things done, that he can't just snap his fingers and and make it be. Um, the thing he's got going for him is his approval ratings uh, remain uh, high. He's been very steady. He's at, he's at the mid 50s and 40. Uh, President Trump never got above 50, period. And I think he's going to be using the bully pulpit to his advantage. You know, as we've discussed before, he and his staff main laser like focused on cha- uh, tackling the COVID challenge here. And that seems to be working for them. I think if he can translate that popularity into some of these other uh, priorities, which I also believe have, have wide support around the country, I think it could lead to some, some successes down the road. Well, how about that? Because presidents do typically hit a summer swoon uh, in terms of their popularity. And it's obvious here that both Hill Democrats uh, and the White House are walking into much more difficult territory DT referenced Senator Shelley Moore Capito's marathon negotiations with the White House on a bipartisan infrastructure plan. She feels really strongly that there's a deal to be had here. Bruce, I wonder, though, if she comes back with that deal, are there going to be Republican votes in the Senate to back it up? Yeah, there would be Republican votes behind a Senator Capito deal. Would there be 10 Republican votes to marry with every single Democrat? Uh, it's That's so much harder to see. Uh, my own best guess of things is there will be a bipartisan deal between the mansions and the uh, and the capitos, but I don't know that that is a sixty plus vote deal, let alone you know one that then you send over to the House. Where congratulations, DT Pelosi's current operating margin just went from three to four, but for a lot of the House Republicans, they can taste the majority, and that means give few wins anywhere. If they all were to block, then you'd require Speaker Pelosi to roll and cajole every single member on what is a compromise that the progressives didn't like. 
feels to me that that uh, that I, I still think there will be a bipartisan a deal that may or may not get passed that will definitely not include a lot of the White House priorities, um, but there will be a reconciliation infrastructure package is both more likely, either as a complement to, but more likely as a replacement for a bipartisan deal that can't get 60. And then the real fun begins because you'll then have the mansions and the cinemas perhaps saying they want the reconciliation deal to be pretty much what the compromise deal was, but that's never going to sell with the progressives. And that could create an internal challenge for a team Biden. There are many things I love, Bruce, and it's his eternal optimism that uh, good will triumph over evil. I wish I was that optimistic here. Uh, I think we're going to return to a reconciliation process, and we're going to know that in the next few weeks here, and that there won't be a compromise on infrastructure. The sides are too far apart on dollars, and they don't know how to pay for it, and they don't agree on what infrastructure is. Those are three pretty big hurdles that, that, that uh, the sides have to get over here. So I think we revert back. Much of the summer will be kept with uh, uh, going through budget reconciliation, voteramas, that whole process again. And uh, then they'll see if they can move a bill. Um, I have a ton of faith in Speaker Pelosi's ability to get her caucus to uh, all join together and uh, and get something done here. And then the challenge will be the, the 50-50 split in the Senate. Yeah, look, I will not underestimate uh, Speaker Pelosi's abilities as a tactician. Uh, she's proven time and again uh, that she knows how to hold her caucus together, uh, maybe not on quite these tight of margins. Your challenge, DT, is the reconciliation process itself and voteramas and all those political votes aside. Reconciliation, very good at spending money, uh, very poor at setting policy uh, like energy standards for green infrastructure, which I think is going to be a linchpin Uh, for progressives in the House and uh, how you get a lot of that actual policy stuff through uh, beyond the infrastructure spending uh, is the real challenge to bridge uh, the AOCs uh, with the Joe Manchins. This is where we need to fall back on our, uh, you know, uh, Bob Dove and Alan Fruman and all those guys and get them in here to tell us exactly how this happens here, because I'm not even going to try to answer that question, Dean. Well, I'm working to reprise my uh, reconciliation series. So uh, stay tuned, Bruce. I'm going to challenge your optimism because uh, we have seen now a number of ransomware attacks uh, that have had real impact for the American consumer. You know, we work with a number of clients who've spent many years sounding the alarm on the need for cybersecurity across government and industry, Uh, companies like VMware and Rapid7 and Cloudflare. And man, it seems like those cyber chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, Oil pipelines, meat producers, And the kind of attacks that at the pump and in the grocery store, Americans are seeing the effects of in real time. Is this going down the drain uh, or is this the moment where America gets its cyber hygiene act together? Yes. (laughs) Both. You know, look, (laughs) it's a scary moment when we were collectively talking at the uh, at the very beginning of 2020 about the new slide deck, which was uh, black swans, you know, hunting black swans. I always figured, although it's more of a gray rhino, but I always figured the big we're not prepared event was the cyber hack, not the pandemic. Turned out pandemic cut in line in front of it, but we're still not well prepared. What we're seeing right now is the product of number one, a historic digital vulnerability. More people are online. More systems are online. More systems depend on being online. Number two, our infrastructure is unprepared. You know, uh, t- it was, it's always been about connecting, not protecting. 
um, which is great as long as there aren't malicious actors, but there are. And more things are at greater risk than they ever were because you could, you know, move fast and break things. You could connect people and not worry about protecting people. Uh, number three, there are now really dangerous, powerful tools easily obtained. Hacking as a service. You saw that with the Colonial Pipeline, where you can just go rent the hacking tools. Very dangerous. Number four, there's a lot of money. These guys are getting paid a ton of money. So, you know, if you ransomware pays, that's why more and more people are doing it. Number five, um, they're protected by, if not state sponsors, state protectors. So you can do it from the safety of your home in Russia and the Russian government's not going to bust you up as long as you don't go after domestic targets. And then last, number six, not only can you get paid, but there's untraceable currency out there that, you know, Elon Musk tweets about causing uh, the value to go up and up and up. You know, I don't know that they're getting paid in Dogecoin per se, <laughs> um, but clearly it demonstrates we're going to have to get our collective arms around traceability of currency or else expect more illicit activity protected by governments that pays a lot of money hitting exposed targets. How about a Monroe Doctrine for the digital age? How, why aren't we elevating this to the level of what it is when they are shutting down our access to petroleum, which is still the lifeblood uh, of American industry, uh, whether they're in Belarus or some other former Soviet satellite or Russia itself, to go in and tell these countries, clean this up or we're coming in. <laughs> uh, Dean, if you'd like to go invade Russia and China <laughs> and Iran, you know, good and North Korea, good luck to you. Three of those four are nuclear powers with giant armies. I mean, part of the challenge is you can't just go in. Also, by the way, I would argue that American uh, cyber hands aren't totally unclean. You know, and while I like what Stuxnet accomplished. I think uh, Monroe Doctrine is a bad example. I think the Geneva Convention is the better example. And what you know, if you want to ban use of chemical weapons, you have to be willing, number one, to not use chemical weapons. And then number two, to get all of the nations of the world to agree to make it extraordinarily unpleasant for people who want to do it. As we saw with Nord Stream 2, the Germans aren't ready to hold the Russians' feet to the fire about whether it's assassinations or other stuff. You know, uh, Ian Bremmer describes this. There's not a G20. It's not a G7. It's a G0. You know, we've got to get multilateralism working again. And we've got to be willing to lead by example. You don't do those two things. What we then need to do is we need to get uh, our infrastructure massively more resilient and maybe, you know, the capabilities of hacking back such that, you know, the gangs find all of their computers blowing up, which I don't know that we can do, but I kind of hope we can. Well, guys, infrastructure is the topic du jour. So here, let's wrap up with a bit of a prediction. One, is there an infrastructure bill in some form or fashion, either partisan or bipartisan? And two, uh, when are we going to see it? When does something get to the president's desk? Bruce? I would say there will be infrastructure because like DT says, I'm always uh, optimistic. I personally don't think it gets to the president's desk until November, but, um, but I'm hoping and expecting that we're going to see Hopefully, the types of investments in things like broadband and cyber defenses and clean water that are investments that allow us to grow and that help, you know, the OMB just came out with a projection of future growth that was pretty damn anemic. 
I would like to see less cash to people who can go buy AMC stock and more investments <laughs> in things that will pay long-term infrastructure dividends. What say you, DT? You know, I'll agree with my my optimistic colleague here, uh, at least partially. Uh, I think there will be a bill. Uh, I don't think it will be a bipartisan uh, bill, but I think it'll make it to the president's desk. I agree. We're looking at towards the end of the year here. I'm going to say uh, sometime between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, there will be a large infrastructure package that gets to uh, uh, the Resolute desk. And uh, I'm going to mark the date of December 17th. Uh, write it down, and then you can call me on it uh, if I'm not uh, correct uh, I think that would be a great way for the president to finish his first year. So that's where I put my money. December 17th, a day that will live in infamy. Democrats are going to discover, as parties do over and over again, just how difficult uh, it is to enact legislation through reconciliation. I just want to say, you know, as, as we sort of wind down here, uh, Dean, I wanted to congratulate you on your uh, strong statement and using this platform to uh, uh, have more acceptable rules at Nats Park. I'm now hoping you'll use the end of this podcast to call on the Nats to start winning uh, because uh, we, we need a few more wins now that we've got the fans in the stands or it's going to be a, a long, hot summer at uh, Nats Park. I want to see those bats come alive. And uh, I call on Davey Martinez to uh, get that uh, batting order in shape. David Thomas, Bruce Melman, thanks for joining me on 14th and G. Thanks, Dean.